I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online, internet, around the world church service. I am so happy that you are here today, and I believe that God's Word, which is anointed by the Holy Spirit, will bring the answers and the solutions that you need in life to produce the victory and the joy and the peace that God has promised for you. Praise God. Now today, let's begin in the book of Philippians chapter 4. We're going to receive the holy tithes and offerings. We're going to bring them into the storehouse of God with a thankful and joyful heart. And let's look at something I think that's very helpful concerning our finances. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 the Apostle Paul said, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, I'd like to speak just for a moment about the blessing of understanding that you can reach a place where you're content. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're living somewhere and you're starving and you have no food and you're in a financial mess, that you're supposed to somehow be content with that. That's not what he's referring to. But I do believe there's a place, particularly in our Western culture, where, where we have to realize that contentedness is something where financial blessing can play a part in that. It's not a, uh, you know, a solve it all problem through money. You can actually be a billionaire and not be content. Now, it may sound a little unusual, but it's true. Uh, you could burn through a billion dollars pretty, pretty quickly if you wanted to. And, you know, there are yachts out there. There are planes out there. Uh, for instance, you can go buy your own yacht. Well, that's, you know, you get a real big one uh, because you've got a lot of money. Well, it's $200 million. Well, that's about one-fifth. You know, if you're a billionaire, that's one-fifth of your, of your money. Then maybe you want your own airplane. You know, you could easily spend 50 or $100 million if you want to get not just maybe a private jet. Maybe you want to get a commercial jet and then have it turned into your own flying palace. Well, you know, you're just going to go higher and higher, and uh, they'll ha they're happy to make it for you. If you have the $200 million for that, there is a way to spend it. So you realize in life that contentedness comes not so much with getting more and more stuff, although having stuff and having things is a blessing. But I think we need to realize that you don't always need the biggest, because the moment you do get the biggest. You know what's going to happen? Somebody else is going to come out with another one that's bigger. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I don't know why some men get caught up in the thing with pickup trucks. And, uh, you know, I have a nice pickup truck. But some guys, they have to have the biggest pickup truck. So, you know, it's got to be the highest level model. And then it, it can't just be something off the lot. Then you have to get the, the lift package on it. And then not only do you have to get the lift package, now you've got to get the biggest tires. And then you've got to lift it higher than anybody else. And on and on it goes. And then if you see somebody with a bigger one, oh, now you've got to go out and lift it higher and higher. And on it goes before you need a ladder to get up into the thing. And I'm not knocking that. I think some of that's cool. Some of the uh, uh, things you can do aftermarket uh, can make your vehicle quite exciting. 
riding, whether it's a stereo or, you know, tires and rims and all that stuff. That's cool. But there's a place where that can just go on endlessly. And eventually you have to reach a place where you say, my heart's happy here. Somebody's always going to get something bigger or faster. And, you know, you don't need to compete with that uh, faster. Uh, same thing with vehicles. There's something about faster, faster, faster. And now you have electric cars like the Tesla that uh, is quiet. It doesn't make all the earth shaking noise like a big V8 that's got a supercharger on it. But in many ways, the electric car is a lot faster. And the new one that Mr. Musk is developing, the Roadster they have, will, I believe, go zero to 60 under two seconds. Well, that's faster than most of the amusement park rides that shoot you off real fast and take you through a loop and then make you lose your lunch. My friends, there's always something bigger. There's always something faster. And this can just keep going on forever. There's a place where you reach a contentedness and you just say, look, I know there's other things out there, but... The Lord has blessed me, and I'm thankful for what I have, and I'm content with what I have. I don't need to get caught up in this endless pursuit of always having to have the biggest, the fastest, the newest, or whatever the case might be. Speaking of newest, the moment, the moment that you buy it and wear it or drive off the lot with it, it's no longer new. It's now used. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting how these things work. And maybe you want to go through that experience of having that new sensation. That's totally cool. I can understand that. Uh, there's a place for that. But there's also a place where you realize, um, I don't always need that to be content or to be happy. I think also as you go along, understanding what Paul was meaning about uh, contentment, you don't always have to pay the highest amount to always have the best. I've got to have the best, Pastor Stephen. I want, I've want. i got to represent the Lord. How many times have we heard that? But really, it's the person just wanting to make themselves look good. Uh, the Lord's not much of, of an equation in their factoring for what it is of what they do. We need to think about these types of things because I, I have found, and I'm sure you have too, that oftentimes what costs the most is not always the best. Um, you can get a pair of shoes that cost, you know, $2,000, but you know, you may, you may put them on and think, how can anybody walk in these? These things are going to tear your feet up, but you know, you can get a pair of shoes, maybe for $200 or a hundred dollars. They still look maybe exactly the same, but maybe they don't, they don't have that little symbol or that little, uh, trademark logo or something like that, but yet they're more comfortable. They're actually better made. And so you'll find out sometimes that just because it costs more doesn't mean it's actually better. Now there are many times where the price is justified and you can see it in the quality, the, the workmanship, the, uh, the way it's has precision built into it and things like that. So you can see that and you can realize, yes, uh, you often get what you pay for, but so many other times just because it costs more doesn't mean it's better. So I think that when we reach a place of being content, then you'll really find a peace and a happiness in your heart and you'll be thankful. Praise the Lord. Now we're just transitioning as pilgrims through this life. We have all eternity 
to live. You understand the sinners don't think like that. They realize they're here for a few decades, and they're going to grab all they can grab, and they can get all they can get, and they're going to do whatever it takes to get it. But as a child of God, we don't have to go through life uh, reaching and grasping and straining and, and, and lusting and, you know, thinking we've only got a few decades to enjoy this. It's totally different for the believer. We're going to live all eternity with the Lord. And really, there's nothing out of reach for you, praise the Lord. Even if you can't reach it in this life, trust me, you'll still have all eternity <laughs> to uh, experience and try perhaps some of the things that maybe uh, it just didn't come your way during this lifetime. Praise God. Paul said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. He said, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. And let me say that, too. I've, I've ministered many different countries, many different places around the world, and I've stayed in very primitive situations. I'm not over-exaggerating when I say that. I have been in very primitive places uh, where there is no toilet, where there is no running water, and I've stayed there, slept there, uh, eaten there in places like that. And I know what it is to be abased. But I also know what it is to, to abound. Where you go to check in somewhere and they, uh, or, you know, you arrive and they say, Pastor Stephen, you're going to be staying over here at this hotel. And, you know, and uh, wow, you know, it's something that's like, hey, this is pretty nice. Uh, I'm certainly going to enjoy my time here. But you know what? As long as the Lord is with you and you're, you're in the will of the Lord, it's just good to know that contentedness. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let me say this. Some of the more unusual experiences I've had have been in very difficult places and difficult times. Now, I've had some supernatural encounters when I was in, maybe we could call it nice places, but I've had more of them in places that were either, maybe we could call it rough around the edges or places like, hey, that was nice to visit, but um, uh, let's try not to loop back through here again. Praise the Lord. But you know, the Lord's always with you and you just need to learn that contentedness. Praise God. Mm. I once saw a Christian man served his steak at the restaurant. I was sitting at the table with him. The pastor was sitting there, and uh, he was one of the leaders in the church. And uh, the, the waitress comes up and uh, takes his, uh, his steak and, you know, it just came out. It was just cooked and puts it before him and, you know, presents it to him very nice. And he cuts it and looks at it, gets real angry. This is not cooked right and explodes because the steak is not right. Not, not realizing that most people in the world aren't eating steak. I, I know in America you can get it at almost any restaurant, but there's a lot of places in the world where, uh, you know, they have a really nice steak. Hey, that's maybe once or twice a year. And he's just, you know, ranting and raving because his steak is not cooked right. And um, uh, it's just, you know, it is what it is. It's just a, just a piece of meat. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Hey, hey, if it is cooked wrong, just ask her to you ask her to take it back and, you know, have them throw it back in the oven or on the grill, you know, for a little bit longer. Uh, life goes on. Life goes on. These things should not be earth-shaking uh, moments where you totally fall apart because 
something is not always at the top level of excellence and, of, you know, of the premium best. Praise the Lord. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, he's not saying that he uh, is happy being hungry. Who is, right? That's, <laughs> you know, hunger pangs, uh, that's not fun, particularly if it's been going on for quite some time. But there's also a place where when the Lord is with you, you can still get through that without grumbling, but still praising the Lord, knowing that the Lord can work through uh, all the different situations of your life. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then, of course, he does get into uh, his appreciation for their partnering and supporting his ministry. Verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only praise God. And the Apostle Paul did teach giving and receiving, and it works both ways. It's seed time and harvest. This is not like, hey, just support my apostolic missionary uh, work. Uh, please support me. And uh, one day when you get to heaven, there'll be a reward. No, it's giving and receiving. So as they're giving, there's also blessing coming back as the Lord is involved in this. Woo, praise the Lord. It's amazing. But my friends, through the good times, even through challenging times, you can find a contentedness in the Lord where you say, Lord, I praise you. Maybe I, I don't have as much as I would prefer at the moment, but Lord, I thank you that I have what I have. Hallelujah. Praise God. And you'll find, you'll find with a thankful heart like that, you'll always, always get through. You'll always get through. Praise God. Pastor Stephen Paul starved. No, he didn't starve. He obviously had a few times where he missed a meal and that was recorded, but uh, he never starved, never starved. Praise God. Truth is, there are some Christians, they probably need to skip a meal or two, praise the Lord, would be good. They haven't done any fasting uh, from a, a voluntary perspective. Maybe something could be introduced every now and then for a little, uh, we wouldn't want to call it a forced fast. <laughs> Woo! Praise the Lord. But Paul, he knew what it was like when, um, you know, there's, we don't have any food right now. And for whatever the situation is, let's just, let's just keep on going. Maybe we can get to the next village and uh, maybe we can get something to eat. Praise God. But through it all, the Lord is with you. Praise the Lord. So my friends, be mindful of that as you're bringing the tithe and offering into the house of the Lord. Be mindful that you don't always need the most lavish, extravagant thing. Now, maybe there can be that moment in your life when you want to splurge, but you don't need to do that all the time where it's just everything's got to be always over the top all the time. And, uh, you know, understand the blessing of contentment. Praise the Lord. And I believe, I believe you'll be a much happier person. Hallelujah. Let me say this. I would rather have a home that cost $500,000 and have $500,000 cash in the bank than have a million-dollar home and no money in the bank. 
Now, some people, they'd rather have the million-dollar home and just hope they can clear that next mortgage payment or whatever it might be and no savings, no nothing. Uh, I don't like living like that. I'd rather live in a contented state. I'd rather live below my means and have savings and, uh, you know, maybe I didn't get the next big fancy whatever it was. But, hey, you know, we're moving right along. We're, nobody's sweating it out over here. We're doing good. Praise the Lord. So contentedness will bring, I'm telling you, it'll bring a lot of peace into your life. The reason why some Christians have money problems is not because they don't earn a good income. It's because they're always living at the very maximum edge of their income, spending all of their money on the latest, the greatest, the biggest, the fastest, the shiniest, or whatever it is, or the newest. And they feel they have to have that. And when they live like that, they never really have those extra reserves that the Lord would like for them to have, and they don't know the blessing of contentedness. Praise God. So be, be willing to step back a little and just say, Lord, I praise you for all you've done and for what I have. Lord, you're good to me. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Pastor Stephen, I'm short on my rent. Why? Did you take the rent money and spend it on something else and hope that maybe you could uh, make it all juggle at the end and pull it out? Well, yeah, yeah, Pastor Stephen, that's what I did. Well, then those things need to be fixed and you need to be content. But I want the newest and the latest and the greatest. Well, if you have the cash and you can go out and pay for it cash. Just go right ahead and enjoy yourself. But as long as you live on the edge and spend every last penny that you have, it's a very dangerous way of living. Praise God. Mm -mm. I have learned. It's a learning experience. It's an amazing learning experience. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. May the Lord's grace be flowing towards you to also have that same knowledge that Paul came into. Father, we thank you today that as we bring the tithes and the offerings into the storehouse, we thank you for contentment. Father, we thank you that we can certainly appreciate new things, nice things, really good stuff. And at the same time, Father, we thank you that that's not always necessary. That's not always even what's needed. Father, we give you praise. Let there be wisdom to walk in contentment. Thank you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. We all rejoice and say amen. Now, as you're bringing the tithes and offerings in today to the storehouse, if you prefer to mail them in, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. The zip code here is 28654. If you want to go online and bring the tithes and offerings in, you can do so. It's very safe, highly encrypted, and secure. Please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There is a link on the homepage that, uh, that it's uh, on a little red banner that says give, and it has a heart on it. And if you click that, you can bring the tithes and offerings directly into the storehouse through the blessing of the Internet. Praise God. If you would like to sow some seed, we do have two projects that we are continually developing. One is that for television airtime, and the second is for an aviation hangar. Praise the Lord. If you are interested in that, you can click on the header that's called Projects, and you can see those two projects that we are working on at this moment. Praise the Lord. So, Father, bless your people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Now, today, I want to talk about surviving and thriving through the wisdom and knowledge of God. Praise the Lord. We live in very interesting times. Times that maybe you could say have a lot of uh, instability in them. And, you know, the markets right now are very volatile. Why? Because investors don't know what's going on. <laughs> they, they're having a hard time reading which direction is the nation going in, what's going on uh, here. And that creates a lot of turmoil. Um, if you dig deeper, it actually creates a lot of opportunities for prosperity. And I believe that the Lord not only wants you to survive, of course, he actually wants you to thrive. And these are opportunity uh, times in which we're living in to see the Lord do special things in your life, even in your finances. Praise God. So let's talk about this today, beginning with our key scripture, which is found in the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 33. And let's go down to verse 6 today, and let's open up our Bible study today with prayer. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we're asking that your word would have great entrance into our hearts, that we can be established and be made stable through your wisdom and knowledge. And thank you, Father, that even though there would be shakings and uh, reports of uh, things that could be very unsettling, we thank you that you will hold us together. You will hold the church together. You will hold your covenant people together in a stable way. We thank you, Father God, that no evil shall befall us. No plague is going to come near our dwelling. We thank you that you've given your angels charge over us. Now, Father, let your wisdom and your knowledge be distilled into our spirit today as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's all agree and say amen. Praise God. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times. These are the two things you need right now. With all of the uncertainty going on in our nation, with all of the fears and worries that are out there, this is what you need right now. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability. See, it's going to hold you together. You're going to be just fine. Just fine. Now, I cannot speak for others who don't have a covenant with the Lord, but I can speak to the people of the Lord that if you walk in the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord, then you're going to be stable and you're going to come through everything that would be out there. You're going to come through it okay. Praise God. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Let me just say this. I don't mean to be blunt or I don't want to try to be rude when I say this, but right now in the times in which we're living, please don't do stupid stuff. Praise the Lord. Pastor Stephen, what do you mean by that? That's just a general statement. Well, you can get caught up in certain things that maybe others do and you think, yeah, we need to jump on that bandwagon and then you jump on it and then you get bit. Why? Because it wasn't God's wisdom for you. You really need to ask yourself, is this the wisdom of God for my life? Mm -mm. Because there's something about those that don't really serve the Lord 
It's like the devil's not really that interested in them. But if you serve the Lord, it's different for you. Those that are just out there doing their own thing, sometimes it seems like they can get away with anything. But the moment you step out of bounds, why do you uh, get called for it? Why, why do you uh, receive some type of uh, repercussion that's not, that's not enjoyable? Because you're different. You're a covenant child. So you must, it's imperative, you must walk in the wisdom and knowledge of God. And if you do, you will be stabilized and you will be just fine. Praise God. Regardless, regardless, if, if World War Three breaks out, you'll be fine. Praise the Lord. As long as you walk in the wisdom and knowledge of God. And I have great confidence, my friends, that you will. Praise the Lord. Now, let's go over to the book today of Acts. Acts chapter 22. And here we have the Apostle Paul retelling his conversion experience from Judaism to faith in Christ the Messiah. And we're in Acts chapter 22, and let's go to verse 17. Here we see Paul saying, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. A trance is a vision. It's one of the three types of visions. And it's a vision in which your physical senses are suspended and you are seen looking into the realm of the spirit. Praise God. Well, he has a trance. He has a vision. Verse 18, and saw him, that would be Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Well, if we try to identify the moment of when this took place in Paul's life, it would appear that this probably happened right around Acts chapter 9, right around that time frame. Let's take a look at it just for a moment. Acts chapter 9, we'll turn back just a few pages. Acts 9, verse 26. This is uh, very shortly after uh, Paul's conversion experience. Praise the Lord. Verse 26, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Now, when it says they will not receive your testimony, some theologians have said that this is not only referring to the religious Jews, this is referring to the early first century Christian Jews, primarily those who, before Saul was converted, were hunted, literally hunted by him, caught, persecuted, thrown in the prison, beaten, and had all these things done under the command and the authority that was given to uh, Paul. So there were those uh, that could have said, hey, uh, we don't trust this guy. This is a setup. And if we come out to hear him, he's going to have us arrested. And, uh, but, you know, I think it's more being referred to the Jewish leaders. Nevertheless, even the Christians were very hesitant, especially initially, to accept Paul because he had a reputation. He was a killer. He was a killer. You could, you could call him a terrorist in a sense because he was after the Christians, showing them no mercy. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, 
And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. And then, of course, verse 29, referring to Paul, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. This was in Jerusalem and disputed among the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. So the Hellenists were Jews, but they were Greek speaking Jews. And what they tried to do, they tried to kill Paul. All right. So let's jump back over very quickly to Acts 22 again. And Jesus said to him, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Most likely, I believe the ones that were never going to receive it were the religious authorities, the, the Jewish uh, authorities. Now, there were some that worked there at the temple, the priests, the Levites that did receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. But there were others that were that were just like, no way. We're not going to receive no matter what. And so here's, here's wisdom. Get out. Oh, but Pastor Stephen, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die. That, that's good. But stop and think about Paul just for a moment. What if he would have stayed there and he would have gotten killed? See, God had a destiny for him to write what was known as the epistles or letters to various churches and he's going to end up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. So it's very important that Paul doesn't do something silly. Maybe we could even say stupid uh, of getting himself killed prematurely. I know he has a lot of zeal. And because of what he has done, he wants, you know, having persecuted Christians and, and you know, even overseeing the killing of Christians, there's a part of his heart he wants to show them that, hey, I have changed, I belong to Jesus, and I'm willing to die myself now. So I can understand that. But still, but still, you have to do what? You have to walk in wisdom. You have to walk in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. What is wisdom? The ability to discern difference. The difference between good and evil. That's the number one element of wisdom. The ability to discern the difference between good and evil right and wrong. And that's not based upon your own opinion or like it says in the book of judges, every man did what, did what was right in his own eyes. Well, we can make up all kinds of things and what we think is right, what we think is wrong. Uh, but you have to have a standard. So that standard is God's word and that wisdom from the word of God will help you to discern between good and evil, right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Knowledge is information, but you can have knowledge, you can have information, but if you don't make application of it through wisdom, it just sits there and you can't do anything with it. You can't, you can't make any gains out of it. You can't work any good out of it. Praise the Lord. So knowledge by itself, it's, it's very good, but you're going to have to have wisdom going first. Remember wisdom and knowledge. You have to have wisdom, which is, it's, it's such a supreme blessing. You have to have that because with that, now you can make all of that knowledge that you have work. Praise God. So you're going to have to ask yourself at times like, like Paul did. Well, I'm, at, I'm here at Jerusalem, and the Lord told me to leave, told me they're not going to accept uh, my testimony of the Lord. Well, you know what? I think I'm going to pack up my suitcases and go. Oh, that's retreating, Pastor Stephen. He's a coward. No, that's wisdom. He never denied the faith. He, that, that, this is not about, uh, you know, apostasy or anything like that. This is about wisdom. This is about keeping uh, yourself alive and not having your head cut off or, or getting stoned to death. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. The church, 
and America is going to have to get smarter real quick. Praise God. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Praise the Lord today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Lord is good. Mm -mm. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And let's go to verse 19. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Again, this is Paul speaking. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ that I might win those who are who are without law to the weak. I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. Why? That I might by all means save some. Pastor Stephen, he's going to save them all. No, and he doesn't expect that to be the case. But he does expect to save some. Praise the Lord. See, it doesn't surprise me when sinners do the things they do. Do you know why? That's just what they do. Sinners sin. They cheat. They lie. They steal. They, uh, they take bribes. <laughs> they, they do all kinds of things like that. So it doesn't surprise me that they do that. And we're going to endeavor to preach the gospel, continue to preach that, and expand the ministry of reaching the lost. And we're going to win some. Are we going to win them all? No, but we're going to win a lot. Praise the Lord. And my friends, we have to understand that there will be some that will not change. There is going to be sinners still in America. There are going to be people that are going to fight what's right, what's good. They're going to, they, they want wrong. And it, nothing would make them happier to see all the Christians locked up, to see the nation go into total uh, meltdown. Uh, actually, there, there are people that would be happy. Americans would be happy if, if the whole nation just got nuked and destroyed, even if it meant them. Even if it meant them also going out. Pastor Stephen, that sounds like insanity. Well, yeah, because they're under the, the thought processes and the influence of Satan. And Satan's a fruitcake. Um, you think, well, Pastor Stephen, it doesn't make any sense. The devil doesn't make any sense. Here's a good, here's a good uh, little analogy. You have the turtle and the scorpion on the deserted island. But there has been a volcano, and the island is beginning to sink, and it's going to go underneath the water. So uh, the last two on the island are the turtle and the scorpion. Well, the turtle's not too concerned about it because he can swim. And there's another island a couple miles away. He thinks he can make it. Uh, but as he's getting ready to leave the island, the scorpion says, hey, please give me a ride. Get, help me get off this uh, perishing island. And the turtle says, oh, no, I'm not going to give you a ride on my back. He said, you have a reputation. You have a bad reputation, Mr. Scorpion, and you're not coming with me. And the scorpion says, oh, no, trust me. Promise. I promise I won't sting you. I won't hurt you. I will not do anything wrong to you. And the turtle says, well, I've heard really bad things about you, but you've made a lot of promises now to me. And you know what? I'm just going to take you at your word. I'm going to trust you. So uh, go ahead and climb up on my back, and I'm going to go out here to the ocean. I'll start swimming. 
Well, scorpion gets on the turtle's back. The turtle starts swimming, gets way out in the middle of the ocean, long way off from the island that's going underwater, but he's still a long ways away from the other island. He's way out in the middle of the water, and suddenly the scorpion stings the turtle right on the back of the neck, and the, it's, the poison begins to go in, and the turtle begins to black out. The turtle's going to die, and the turtle, with his last gasping words, turns his head around and said, Why did you do that? Now you're going to kill both of us. And the scorpion said, I know it. I know it. But I just can't help it. It's just who I am. Mm, does that make any sense? <laughs> uh, that's just the way the devil is. Okay. And so when you have people that are under that influence that would like to see destruction, that would like to see uh, lawlessness and iniquity flourish and abound, um, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. And here's the thing. They're not they're not going away. They're still in America. They're still on the planet. Pastor Stephen, if we had revival, we could get them all saved. Well, even Paul realized that he can save some. There will be those that respond, but there is going to be others that are going to harden their heart and they're not going to want to change. Praise the Lord. And so we have to be aware of that. And that's why Paul shared these things, that he might win some. Well, what about the others, Pastor Stephen? Well, what did Jesus say about them? Revelation chapter 22, verse 11. This is John uh, speaking here. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Actually, excuse me. This is the angel. Verse 11. It says, he who is unjust... Let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. That's you. He who is holy, that's you. Let him be holy still. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. Guard your heart. Walk in the wisdom and the knowledge of the Lord. And even with crazy stuff, even with crazy people. You're going to, you'll be just fine. Praise the Lord. And you're going to get through it and you'll be just fine. So continue to stay righteous, stay in Christ and continue to live holy. And those that don't want to change that want to just stay filthy and, uh, you know, just let them continue on their course and they will reach for sure their destination eventually of where they're going. Now let's go over to Matthew chapter 13. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor Stephen, I just want all this chaos and I want all of this, you know, tension. I want it to be over. I think because of the days in which we're living, there are certain things that are not going to be over and they're not going to go away. Now, for many of you that have visited Jerusalem, one of the first things you notice is when you're in Jerusalem, particularly uh you know, like around the older, the old city part, you know, the Temple Mount area and stuff like that. You start feeling this atmosphere. What is this? What is this in the atmosphere? And you know exactly what it is. It's called tension. And it's it's wild. You can feel it. It's invisible. It's, it's what we would call intangible. But is it ever there? There is tension all throughout Jerusalem. Oh, Pastor Stephen, we just need to pray that that comes to an end. Uh, no, you can pray day and night. It's not going to come to an end until the Lord Jesus comes back. Oh, praise God and makes things right. 
So some things we have to just embrace and know that this is the way it is. And we need to walk in the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord and we'll be just fine. Even though it's a dangerous world, we will be just fine. And we will not only survive, but we will actually thrive. Praise God. Now, Matthew chapter 13, let's go to verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, what happened later is you have you have the tares and the wheat both coming up at the same time. Verse 28. And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together. The wheat and the tares. Have you noticed that's what's going on right now? The wheat, that's the church, and the tares, that would be the wicked sinners that have uh, no intention of changing, but they want to stay filthy, maybe even become more filthy, and they want to pollute everything they possibly can. So the wheat and the tares are growing side by side. Let both grow together, Jesus said, until the harvest. And at that time, of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And he goes on to translate this parable by saying, the field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Mm-mm. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. So, until the Lord wraps everything up, the sinners and all the uh, lawlessness that they would enjoy, those things will still be, uh, you'll, you'll have waves of it at time, waves of it at time. Sometimes it can be pretty crazy, other times Maybe a little bit calmed down, but it doesn't mean it can't rise back up real quick again. We're going to have this until the end of time. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. So those who practice lawlessness here is where their destination will be. And will cast them, those who practice lawlessness, will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, praise the Lord, see, stay righteous, stay holy. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Praise God. So it doesn't surprise me when I see, uh, you know, Certain people cheating, uh, cheating in a political party, cheating uh, on all these things that happen, cheating in sports, cheating uh, uh, in academia, you know, on tests or uh, falsifying data or information, whether it's uh, involved in science or, you know, you have so many scientists now that are just bought out. <laughs> they don't care what the data says. They're going to they're going to they're going to they're going to line up with the money with the money flow, because there are universities that if they don't uh, take a certain stance, all of their funding will get cut off by rich, wealthy donors. So they, they, these uh, universities and their faculty, they are obligated to teach certain uh, so-called 
forms of science, even if it's total junk. It, do, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're going to do that. And why? Because that's what tares do. That's what sinners do. It shouldn't surprise us. It's just like what they do. So we have to be like Daniel, where they knew those persecuting Daniel, they knew they were corrupt. They knew that they were a group that would, you know, they just wanted to be in power. They loved being around the king, and nobody's going to touch them, no matter what they do. But they don't, they don't like Daniel because he has integrity. He has biblical morals and values and principles. And they're like, well, let's get, let's get rid of him because we don't like what he stands for or the laws, the good laws that he would like to implement and, you know, his influence upon the king and so forth. So they thought, let's just get rid of him. And it, they looked for what we would call dirty laundry on him. And you know what? They couldn't find anything. Here's the focus. We know that sinners have a lot of dirty laundry. That's what sin is, right? But as a believer, if for some reason your phone and your emails were checked, or your laptop or your computer would you, you know, if you found out that they're coming, would you start deleting everything? Would you start acid watch washing and bleach washing and destroying with a hammer or sledgehammer all your stuff? Oh, no, they're going to find out. You have to live your life transparent. Even if, even when you have secret areas of your life, because we all do. I mean, you, you know, you have your own home, you have your privacy and things like that. But there has to be an element of transparency in the day in which we live. Why? Because... If they can find something to hang their hat on, then they've got you. So you have to uh, walk in wisdom and knowledge. It will keep you stable, safe, and secure. Now, it doesn't surprise me if they cheat. That's just what they do. <laughs> For them, it's not cheating unless they get caught. And if they get caught, well, then, then you know, they acknowledge that it's not right. And that, you know, off the jail they go. But you have to, you have to get smart. See, the Chinese church has been under persecution now for decades and you learn to get smart see the the communist government of china they're very afraid of the christians why because there are more chinese christians than there are members of the chinese communist party isn't that incredible? So they're very afraid. They, they think the Chinese government in their natural mind thinks, well, the Christians will take over. Well, Christians are sweet. They're, they're not going to start, you know, rolling out tanks and trying to over, do a coup and overthrow the government. That's uh, Christians. They don't even think like that. But Chinese authorities view that as a threat being outnumbered or whatever it is. So they what do they do? They persecute severely the Christians and you have what is called the underground church movement uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they're meeting, you know, down below the ground somewhere. Although in some cases, that's exactly uh, where they do have to meet in secret. So they don't get caught and you just have to get smart. Kind of like one missionary who uh, when taking Bibles into a certain communist country, went to a checkpoint and the guard said, what's in those suitcases? And, you know, in moments like that, you know, you have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to lie because Christians don't lie. But at the same time, you don't want to say, oh, those are holy Bibles. We're here to get the people saved. <laughs> you know, you're going to disappear. So, you know, you, you just let the Holy Spirit help you. And he said, soap. We have soap in those in the suitcases. And one of the guards opened up one of the suitcases and saw all the Bibles. And uh, he just 
closed the suitcase back up, zipped it up, told the other guards, nothing in there but a bunch of soap. And off the missionary went with several suitcases loaded of these real small Bibles, hundreds of them, to give to those in the underground church. So, uh, uh, it's not a lie, because uh, it's the Word of God that cleans and washes. So, you know, just ha- you have to get smart. You have to get smart in America. And uh, I- I'm not saying break the law, but I'm saying you have to mainly not break God's laws, not break God's commandments. So, when society begins to break down, then you're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to help you with wisdom and knowledge to stabilize you. In times that would put pressure on you to compromise your faith. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Something very interesting that happened in the early church. You have to understand that the first 300 years of the early church, um, it was just fierce persecution against the Christians. Now, it wasn't constant. It wasn't like every day, every year. There were some interim periods Sometimes you'd have a decade. At rare times, you might have a 40-year period where there was a little pause in between. But most of the time, the Christians were just treated horribly. And you had emperors uh, and Caesars that would rise up, the rulers of Rome. And remember, the Roman Empire was vast. It covered all of the territory that we know today as modern-day Israel. It was a huge empire. And... Uh, They were brutal. Uh, Nero, A.D. 64, blaming the fire of Rome. Uh, You know, some, uh, you know, back then they built with wood or stone. And if it was wood and it caught on fire, not much you can do to stop it. They didn't have fire trucks back then. So a lot of Rome burnt down. And Nero blamed the fires on the Christians. He was actually responsible for the fires himself. He had some people start them because uh, he was a psycho. But he blamed it all on the Christians, and that created a lot of animosity amongst the, the unsaved against the Christians. And so Nero used that as leverage to take out his hatred on the Christians. And so he, he uh, you know, fed them to the lions. You, you know, you start to have the gladiators and uh, the entertainment, uh, the barbaric forms of entertainment. And he had his own private garden, and he had many of them impaled on sticks covered with tar and then lit on fire. And that would be the illumination for his night parties there at his garden. And he would walk around and talk while they're burning. They're, the people burning on stakes. He was... A total mental fruitcake. He was demon-possessed, basically. So you have to understand that um, fierce persecution culminating in the year 300 A.D. under the emperor Diocletian with with what was called the Great Persecution. Um, You've already had some emperors before him that just built up to it, but he pulled out all the stops. There were a few emperors before him, one particular uh, in the year, I believe it's right, year 202, who made a, a rule in the Roman Empire that all emperors must now be considered, viewed, regarded, and addressed as God. And one of the emperors actually took the title, God the Lord. <laughs> and, uh, and so now you have Christians living under that. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? So it, it got really bad in the year 300 when the great persecution broke out. Um, and Christians were martyred by the, uh, you know, the, the numbers. We don't even know the numbers. It just, it was extremely high. But here, here was something that became a quandary later for the early church. Let me explain to you what happened. 
um, those who survived the persecution, because it ended right around, what was it, 324 A.D. when Constantine became the emperor, the new emperor, and he moved the Roman Empire to Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul, just north of Israel, of course. And so the brutality stopped. Constantine's mother was a very devout Christian, very devout woman. Now, he did get baptized and so forth, but he never was really what we would call born again. He kept worshiping all these other gods, but he really liked the God of the Christians. And so Jesus was his top God among the pantheon of gods that he actually still kept. Now, there are historians who say he actually did later have a true conversion experience, and I hope that's true. Nevertheless, he made Christianity the state religion. And so all the persecution suddenly ended across the vast Roman Empire. Well, now that you've got some Christians that made it through the great persecution of the year 300, uh, what do you do? This became the question of the church. What do you do with those who were apostates, who basically gave in under pressure and compromised their faith and denounced Christ in order to save their lives so they wouldn't get martyred like so many others who did. Because even with those who denounced it, you had many that said, I will never denounce Christ. And many were put in prison. Many were, of course, killed. But others lived through it. They, although maybe they were mangled and torn to pieces, they lived through it. So once it's now the persecution is, is over with Constantine now reigning, what do you do with all of the apostates? It was a very interesting question. Because... The Roman emperors, they had decided that because they are now, quote, God, and they deserve to be worshipped, they, they, they made an out for Christians that if you were to burn a candle, if you were a Christian, and you were to renounce Christ through the act of burning a candle at one of the pagan altars, and you burned the candle to one of their gods, then you were given a certificate. Now, the certificate in the Roman name was called a labelli. And if you denounce Christ, just by, this is all you have to do. You, all you have to do was go to the pagan temple, take a candle, light that candle, and give an incense that was considered an incense offering to a Roman god. You were given labelli. And as long as you had that labelli, that piece of paperwork, or sometimes it was stamped or imprinted on something, that meant you were exempt from persecution. You could still kind of keep your faith, but it means that Caesar is your God. The emperor is your Lord, not Jesus anymore. Mm -mm. Also, also, if you, maybe you were a Christian and you knew that was wrong, you knew that's direct apostasy. I'm renouncing God. I'm renouncing my faith to save my skin. They, there were some that knew, hey, that, that's an outright denial of Christ, my Savior, uh, there was still another option, which is you could bribe a Roman official, and he could give you one of the labelli 
And you could do that in secret so that you wouldn't have to go down to the temple. And, you know, now all the other Christians are seeing you sell out and compromise your faith. So you wouldn't have to maybe do it like that. You could go to one of these Roman officials if you were wealthy and you could give them a bribe and give them some secret money and they would give you the labelle. And that basically meant in secret you have denounced Christ. But most of the Christians won't know about it. But at least the Roman officials won't persecute you. Because why? You've said that Caesar is God, the emperor is God, not, not Jesus anymore. Mm-mm. But just because it was done in secret doesn't mean that the Lord, of course, didn't see, didn't see it. Now, what took place is that now that Constantine is emperor and the wave of persecution is over, you've got those that stayed faithful. Many were martyred, but you've got the others that stayed faithful, that never denounced Christ, that are still in church, they're still meeting as a church. Now the apostates want to come back. Hey, we didn't really mean it. We were just under a lot of pressure. We had a bad day. I mean, they said they're going to kill all of our kids. Well, the ones that stayed faithful, their children were killed. They were beaten. They were brutalized. They were they had their possessions taken from them, houses taken from them, everything. They were like, well, you have renounced the Lord. And so in many cases, they would not let them back because they didn't trust them. And you could understand why. Now, uh, this became quite a, quite a concern amongst the uh, early church fathers. What do we do with these apostates? There are some that do appear to have truly repented. And the ones that were just like, hey, you know, I, 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 I blew it. I, I had a chance to get out, and I, I sold out Jesus to save my skin, and I knew it was wrong. And my conscience has convicted me every day, and it was wrong, and I repent. And uh, usually the ones that repented, they look for a way not only, of course, you know, the blood of Christ will forgive you, but they were looking for a way, the ones that truly repented, for a way to give me another chance. God, give me another chance to make it right. <laughs> and so sometimes <laughs> they did have another opportunity because something, you know, there's still other violent areas out there. And uh, so there was an opportunity, maybe we could say, for them to redeem themselves. But for the most part, those that were faithful didn't want anything to do with those that renounced when the going got tough. Mm-hmm. What, what does the Word of God say about this? Well, we see in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Verse 32, Therefore, listen to this now, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. I do believe there's a place of the mercy of God where if you're under the stress and you know, you, you, you know, you're just a weak Christian and you got caught up in this thing and they're, they're putting the, the sword to your throat, renounce Christ. Or accept Caesar as your God. You know, there were those who denounced Jesus. Uh, maybe they put the sword up to the neck or the throat of their kids and said, denounce Jesus, or we're going we're gonna to cut their throats right now. And there were those parents that said, oh, we can't, we can't take this. And they were just under so much duress that they, that they, in that moment, greatly dishonored the Lord. And then maybe later, they realized what they had done. I believe there can be forgiveness 
But um, those that did that were always carried shame with them uh, in the early church because because of what they have done. I believe I believe the Lord can give forgive forgiveness for that. But it doesn't mean that you have not greatly dishonored the Lord. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So that denial is a full denial knowing as, as more of a, what we would call maybe like a mature believer. And you know, you know, hey, this is wrong. And then you just do it anyhow to save your skin. You're in hot water. You're, you're, you're in trouble. It's time for the church to mature. And you have to, th th this is very important about wisdom. Wisdom, the ability to discern difference, right and wrong. How about this? Between what's truly spiritual and what's just hype and pump and the Christian circus. Woo! That's really the area the church today in America needs the most illumination. It reminds me of the true story of the pastor in Texas some years back when a, a gunman came in with a gun, of course, unannounced, and came in real quick, went right to the front of the church, grabbed a lady. An older lady that was sitting at the front grabbed her, put the gun to her head. So now he's got a hostage. And, uh, and so now, now the church is, you know, like, what do you do? Because if you try to do anything, he's going to shoot her and kill her. So he's just using her as a hostage to get closer to the pastor. And he took his gun and uh, pointed it at the pastor and unloaded the entire magazine on the pastor. Boom, 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 boom. And not one bullet hit the pastor. At that point, there were men there that could wrestle him down. Now, this was maybe 20 years ago. Uh, you, you, that would turn out different today because you have a lot of uh, concealed carry, uh, men and women who are in church. You can't tell they have a weapon, but they, they are, they're carrying concealed just in case something like that would happen. But you know what? I thought it was very, very fascinating when the pastor later, when he was asked about the situation, the pastor thought, you know, he said, out of all the people in the church that were there that day, he said, the ladies, the moment that man who was demon possessed came down with that, the ladies immediately began to pray because he came in very quick. But when they realized what was going on, he's got the gun to the head of this lady, the women, the intercessors immediately began to praying in tongues. And he said, the big bodybuilder with the big muscles who would always come to church with a tank top to show off his muscles, got up instantly and ran out of the church building terrified. Mm. Mm. Now, the modern church wants people like that on the front. They want, do you look cool? Oh, get up on the front. We got to get you on camera. Do you look educated and smart? We need to make sure the camera's on you because it's all about looks. No, it's all about walking in the wisdom and knowledge of God. Hallelujah. Because times are very, very different today. Very, very different today. Praise the Lord. And you, if you have a church full of people, that are just in the flesh, in the flesh, in the flesh. Um, they're not going to be exempt from difficulties just because they're Christians. Because a lot of that form of Christianity would melt instantly under any form of persecution or heat. It would melt. It would melt like a snow cone on a hot, sunny summer's day. Mm -mm. So, my friends, you have to get dialed in right now. Pastor Stephen, how do, how do I know if I would actually compromise or not if it came down to something like that? Oh, I can, I can tell you. You can, you can find out right now. Well, how, Pastor Stephen? 
Are you compromising now? Is there any area in your life that you compromise because you want people to like you? Do your workers even know that you are a person of faith? Do, do you live a life that glorifies the Lord? Or is there areas of major compromise in your life? Because trust me, if you're compromised now, when really there's very little persecution. I mean, there's social media and maybe people that say, I don't like you on a, on a tweet or, you know, on a YouTube comment or something like that. Uh, but, the, you know, the, the stuff that some of these other countries are going through, no, America's never had anything like that. And I'm not say, saying we're even appointed unto that. But I am saying that if you compromise now, you would absolutely compromise when there were manifestations of real persecution. So you got to get, you got to get straight. You got to get the slack out right now. Praise God. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. Second Timothy chapter two. Praise God. Pastor Stephen, I'd just like to take one of those labellies, one of those certificates and go hide out in my house. You know, I've read many of the testimonies of the early martyrs. And I'm not just talking about Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is more of a coverage of church history. You know, I'm talking about mainly in the first three centuries. I found it very interesting in the great persecution that happened in 177, the year 177 A.D. in Gaul, G-A-U-L, which is modern-day France, in the city of Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. The, the amphitheater is still there today. But there were four Christians that were rock solid. Uh, they, were, they, they were tortured so severely. They had atrocities done to them to try to break their spirit. Um, hot iron plates put to the delicate parts of their body and roasted on fire. Uh, they had they had the most awful things done to them, and they never renounced Christ. They said, "We will never renounce the Lord." Um, one of the one of them was a slave girl who had come to Christ. Um, one of them was a very polished, respected leader in the town, and there were two others that were, I believe, they were very devout men. So uh, all four of them just uh, were rock solid. But you know what? There were a lot of nominal Christians that flaked out when the persecution hit. They said, oh, no, we don't know those four. While just weeks before, they were all in church together. But there were those that renounced the Lord and said, oh, no, uh, oh, no, we don't know anything about this person, Jesus. Caesar is our God. Do you know what? When the authorities found out that these, what we would call apostates, were actually a few weeks earlier behaving as Christians, going to church, the officials said, get them also. Round them. They had such hatred for any association with Christianity that they found out those who had previous associations, even if they had renounced it, they said, we don't care. Get them also. Get the ones that have renounced it. Get them also. We're going to slaughter all of them. And they took them all into the uh, amphitheater. And the ones that were faithful were illuminated with glory. The ones that said, we will never renounce Christ. Go ahead and kill us. Kill our families. Take everything. We will never renounce Christ. And they didn't. And when they were tortured severely and saw most awful things done to their loved ones, they stayed faithful. But those 
who were apostates, who renounced Christ because of their cowardness, when they went into the uh, amphitheater, because they're going to get killed too now, they went in with such shame. You could see nothing but shame on them. And the, and, and the people, the spectators, mocked, most of all, the cowards. Said, you cowards! And, you know, they really let them have it. They all got killed. They got killed. But the ones that were faithful, whoo, they went out and with, a, with an incredible impact. Mm-mm, Hallelujah. I would highly encourage you to stay with the Lord all the way. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Mm, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you're living as a nominal Christian, just goofing around, you're on real dangerous ground. You could be a person that if there were persecution, you would actually deny the Lord. Oh, I would never do that, Pastor Stephen. But when persecution comes, guns are pulled out, knives are pulled out, or political pressure to bow to the system. Or we're, we're, going, to, we're going to confiscate your house. Or we're going to we're going to take your kids off kids away. We're going to educate them the right way because you're you're filling them with this you know hate philosophy of you know right and wrong, sin and evil and all that. So we're going to take them from you. Or you know you have to really be walking with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Praise God. One more verse. One more. Romans chapter one. This is very powerful here. Romans one verse sixteen. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There are some preachers, they'll preach it, but there's a shame that if they get persecuted, they're, they're ashamed of the gospel of what it actually says. Wonderful pastor, man of God in Russia, preaching, using social media to preach the gospel and spread it far and wide, and a high-ranking Russian politician, an atheist, a communist, heard the preacher, heard the pastor say that if you are not saved, if you do not long belong to Christ, you are dead in your sins, you are spiritually dead. And that atheist, high-ranking official said, who does this man think he is? He is saying that we are spiritually dead, that we cannot be uh, good people because we are we're in spiritual death. And I thought... That pastor is exactly right. That's what the gospel is. Yes, you're a sinner, and you need to be saved. Yes, it sounds like you're under conviction. Oh, but no. You know what they did? They took the pastor and put him in prison. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. See, it's power, the gospel of Christ. And, and here's the thing about the gospel that's so different from any other religion in the world. The moment the gospel enters into a city... Let's take Rome, for example. Let's go back in time a couple thousand years. And Christianity first begins to be preached in Rome. 
Well, what's the big deal with that, Pastor Stephen? I mean, after all, Rome has a whole plethora of gods. And the Romans were greatly influenced by the Greeks. They loved Greek culture. Uh, they, they didn't like the Greeks, but they loved their culture. And so the Romans, now they have their own pantheon of gods. And so what's the big deal if you just add another god? I mean, you've got all these other religions, and what's the big deal? They're all just a bunch of different gods. Uh, no, the God of the Bible is very, very different. Here's an example. The moment you start preaching the gospel in a city, in a village, or a town, here's the difference. It's so confrontational, it's so powerful, because only the gospel has the ability to change society. And the moment you preach it, what happens? There's going to be a clash. Example, the gospel preached in a certain city back in the New Testament days, and you had a silversmith. This man makes his business. Oh, the whole city has their prosperity hinged upon the making of these silver statues. Why? Because everybody's worshiping this goddess called Diana. And so in order to worship this goddess, you had all of these little marketplaces, all of these shops that are getting wealthy and rich off the making of these silver statues that are in the image that would supposedly portray this female deity. Okay, so Paul comes in and does what? He preaches the gospel. What happens? Uh, something very different than presenting any other religion. They don't care about any other religion. We'll just make you another statue over here. Oh, this is different. Paul comes and says, hey, all these are dead idols. They can't talk. They can't breathe. They can't see. You're worshiping a piece of brick. You're worshiping a stone or a piece of wood. <laughs> And so, so, so do you see, do you see the difference? No, what happens with that message? Oh, you're threatening our finances. Y yes, that, that's why the gospel is so different. It has the ability to dramatically alter society in a way where if, if it, the gospel is received, they realize, let's take Christ. Let's take Christ, and if you do, what do you do? Oh, let's throw away all these stupid idols. <laughs> let's get rid of them. We don't need them. <laughs> let's melt them all down. Do something different with the silver. Wow. What if they don't accept that, though? What if they reject the gospel? Oh, you've got, you've got a confrontation on your hands now. And now, now that creates tension. Tension so tense, sometimes they have to get Paul out over the city wall by night in a basket. Why? Because it's not being received. But still, you can have Christians that get saved there. You can have people that heard it. They got maybe the city rejected it, but there were a few that received. What do you do? You're going to have to walk in wisdom and knowledge. You're going to have to walk in wisdom and knowledge. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father God. Praise the Lord. So even here in our nation, you have those that delight in biblical values who love God love his word, and love the commandments of God. And you have others that hate it, that want to overthrow it, and want uh, their own form of how they want their world to be and their country to be. So what happens? You have a clash, and both sides aren't going away. So you have to walk in wisdom and knowledge, and it will stabilize you even if you're living in Ephesus in the middle of a riot. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! 
glory to God. I mean, the whole city was in an uproar. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Glory. Glory to God. But whatever you do, even if you have to go, in a sense, go underground, use the wisdom of God to do that. And if you go underground, it doesn't mean, you're, it doesn't mean that you've denied the faith. It just means that you're carrying your faith in a covert way. Why? So you can keep on living and keep on serving the Lord and keep on spreading the gospel. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Praise God. Glory to God. Glory to the Lord. Pastor Stephen, what do I need right now? You need two things. Wisdom and knowledge to stabilize you. Anytime you're going into something, going into something, ask yourself, is the wisdom of God in this? Is this a wise decision? Praise the Lord. Well, maybe for somebody else, is it, is, is it a wise decision for you? Could depend. It could depend. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I had a man one time say, Pastor Stephen, come, come minister with me in, in this country. I said, well, I said, if I go, all I'm going to need is a one-way ticket. Oh, why, Pastor Stephen? Well, because I'm never going to come back. I'll never get out of there alive. Oh, no, Pastor Stephen, trust me, you'll be okay. Oh, no, 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 I won't be okay. You'll be okay because that's where you came from. You look just like them. I look, I look like an American. I'll never get out alive. <laughs> I've turned down quite a few of those invitations. Not that I don't want to go, I, but I just want to fulfill my purpose and I can go over the airwaves. I can go other ways. Praise Lord. Now he can go there back and forth all the time, but I can't, I can't. I actually really thought about it one time and in one of these very dangerous countries. And I just, you know, I kind of thought, well, Lord, you know, you, you'll do great things and I, I should go. And, uh, I, but I felt in my side on the inside, a great disturbance of peace. But I thought, well, you know, they need the gospel. Uh, and, and this was when I was, my ministry was just starting off and I just thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And a prophet called me and he said, Stephen, you're about to take a trip. I said, yeah, I'm planning out this trip. He said, this is very dangerous. He said, um, the Lord doesn't want you to do this. He said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm planning on going here and they, they promised me a, an escort, you know, armed guards. And he said, he said, Stephen, it's a one way ticket if you go and it's out of God's will. So I just called the whole thing off. Oh, but Pastor Stephen, you'd have had 200,000 people in the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. But you also under, understand that um, there, there can be, if you ever get out of bounds, the enemy can get you. How do you get out of bounds? Doing stupid stuff. Even, even if you didn't mean to, even if you didn't know it, but you're out of bounds, you're out of bounds, and he can touch you now. So you have to be really smart about these things. Praise God. And when Jesus told Paul, get out of Jerusalem, that wasn't like, hey, you know, if you, want, if you think you know more than I do, go ahead and stay. No, no, that's like, get out, or they're going to kill you. And he got out. He got out. Now, later, he was able to come back. But even later, years later, when he came back, what happened? Another riot. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to give you wisdom of how to talk, knowing when to fly beneath the radar, and also knowing when. Take your stand. Now you need to give your testimony. Oh, but I might lose. It's, it doesn't matter. Take your stand right now. Let them know 
who you are, what you believe. Don't be a coward. Take your stand. And should that moment come, the Holy Spirit will help you. Praise God. Praise God. The main thing you want is you want God with you. You want to be in the will of the Lord all of the time. And that comes back again to walking in the wisdom of God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for your people that wisdom and knowledge be theirs. We thank you that it will bring stability. Father, I thank you that I speak over the life of the person watching that you will not only survive, but God has plans for you to thrive. Father, let them come into the thriving right now in every facet of their life. Thank you, Father. Let them shine bright in the darkness. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, I think about St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, of course, Assisi being in Italy. And he had, a, he had a heart for the Arabs. And he went all the way one time. Uh, you know, it took him months and months. He took a couple of his uh, disciples, his protégés with him. And he went on this long trip. I think it took over a year. And he actually ended up getting a meeting with one of the sultans, one of the sheiks that was um, a governing authority over a large area. And he was able to have a one-on-one -on -one talk with him and actually was able to lead him to the Lord. And the sheik told him, the sultan said, look, he said, I do believe that Christ is the Savior of the world, and he's in my heart. But he said, I can't make this public. He said, or my life will be over in just a few minutes, because there's no way in, in this culture that I'm going to survive if I ever make this public. But he said, in my heart, God is the only true God that I serve, the God of the Bible. And so he was saved. Now, St. Francis found that his tactics and when I say tactics, I, I mean his method of, of ministry did not work, uh, except on a, like when ministering to that uh, high-ranking official. It did not work in other scenarios it, uh, like it did in other places. In other places where he would go, uh, he would just go directly into a showdown. He'd say, let's find out. If he went to, a, you know, like a, a wild... Uh, you know, pagan tribe, he'd say, well, let's find out who God really is. You obviously worship this God. I worship the God of the Bible, and, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So let's just not, let's not beat around the bush. Let's just, you know, let's just light a fire. You get your high priest of your pagan God, and uh, he, he and I will just both walk into the fire together. And whoever comes out, let that be the God that's the true God. So he could do that in other places, but when he went into the area of Islam and so forth, it, it wouldn't work because even, even there, their religious leaders said, no, no, we don't want uh, to test like that. And so, you know, they, they, they were very smart in a very evil way of how they wanted to keep the people barred from hearing the gospel. Now, here's what I'm trying to get to. St. Francis had an encounter with the Lord, and the Lord told him to go back. Go back to Italy. He said, you're not going to hardly have any fruit here. He said, you need to leave. He said, this is not your, this is not your area. You're going to have, you're going to have some seed. That's a uh, harvest that's going to come out of this, but it's going to be very, very small. So he said, you're not going to be fruitful here. So get out of here. And he did. Praise the Lord. And I also know of one uh, well-known minister 
that uh, he's from Africa. He went to Japan one time, and the people were so touched by his ministry that they wept when he taught the Word of God. And they said, please, you must come and establish a ministry base here also. And uh, on the way back, he was making plans, and for about nine hours on the plane, he was making plans of how they could begin to uh, minister and evangelize to Japanese people. And the Lord spoke to him on the plane and said, that is not your harvest field. That area is, is assigned to somebody else. And he just said, closed all of his plans, put it all away, and just said, Lord, thank you. It's not my responsibility. So that is part of walking in the wisdom and the knowledge of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, Father, we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. If you're watching today and you have not made Christ your Lord and Savior, all true wisdom, all true knowledge begins by knowing Christ. If you would like to receive him into your heart now, have forgiveness of your sins and receive his life into your heart, pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, come into my heart. Wash my sins away. I turn from my sins. Wash them all away. Jesus, write my name in your book of life. From this day forward, come into my life. Lead me and guide me and strengthen me. Thank you, Jesus. I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Praise God. My friends, if you have prayed that prayer for the first time, your sins are gone. You now belong to the Lord. Live for Him and serve Him all the days of your life. Praise God. I want to pray for the Christians that I would call the weak need Christians. And you know that you're not the next Apostle Paul. You know that... Uh, you are ashamed of the Lord in many ways. You don't want your friends to know it. You don't want your family to know it. You don't, you don't want them to know how you vote. You don't want them to know anything. You're living this whole thing in secret. And if persecution ever came, uh, you would just go right along. You, you would take that certificate, that labelli, and say, uh, uh, give me two. I, uh, I want to make sure that I don't ever have anything wrong done to me. I want to pray for you. If that's you, lift your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you give that person a spiritual backbone. I pray that you make them strong. Father God, we give you praise. Father, your son Jesus died for us in the most humiliating, agonizing, and inhumane way. But he did it out of love. So, Father, I ask that you would strengthen your people, that they would never be ashamed of the name of Christ, of being identified as a Christian. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. Father, should the whole world begin to crumble, but yet, O oh God, let us continually hold to you. I ask you to just release strength and boldness into that person right now, in the name of Jesus. And if you have... Any time previously, how can I say, thrown the Lord underneath the bus, and you were embarrassed of Him. I know that you have asked the Lord to forgive you, but I'm asking that the Lord will give you another opportunity for redemption, so that the next time you can stand strong, stand strong. So, Father, let that, let that moment where they can just have an opportunity to make it right, let that happen to them. Father, we thank you that that has been forgiven. But I ask that you would give them an opportunity to stand strong. Hallelujah. 
Father, we give you praise. And Father, we just break the spirit of fear. I break that spirit of fear off of them in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. There were many in the early church, the first century, second, third centuries, and of course many other times throughout church history. They lost everything. They wandered from mountain to desert to caves to just looking for a place to lay their heads. And this still takes place today in certain parts of the world. Praise the Lord. So rise up. Rise up and be strong. Praise the Lord. And you're going to see that the Lord will deliver you and strengthen you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Now, let's take communion today. Grab some unleavened bread. If you don't have one of these little wafers, a saltine cracker would work just fine. Grab some grape juice. Praise the Lord. Let's pray over it. Father, we thank you for the bread, the juice. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. That we set this apart now, and we consecrate this as being holy. This is now the body and the blood of Christ our Savior. Father, as we receive the body of Christ, we lift up the persecuted church, that many are in prison right now. Father, many of our Arab brothers and sisters are being tortured in places like Iran or North Korea. They're being tortured brutally for their faith. Strengthen them, be with them, encourage them, bless them, O God. Help their families. Thank you, Father God. Help the pastors, especially, that they're in prison. Because, Father, it's the same tactic of the enemy. Hit the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. So, Father, the, they've gone after many of the pastors, and it has shaken the faith of many of the, uh, of the church members. But, Father, strengthen these pastors in prison and strengthen the Christians that they will not walk away, but they will still come together as believers, and they will build each other up in the faith. Thank you, Father. Let us be willing to give all, even of our lives, even as you said in the book of Revelation, they love not their lives unto the death. May the spirit of a living martyr be on the inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses and washes away all sins. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. Washing all sin away. And Father, it washed the sins away of Paul, the, uh, uh, of Saul, who was involved in the direct murder and the persecution of Christians, simply because they were Christians. Father, we thank you. The blood of Christ washed his sins away, and the blood of Christ washes all of our sins away. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins, and we forgive anyone who sinned against us. And Father, we ask that you lead us away from temptation, and that you would deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and evermore. Thank you, Father God. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. I see a new strength, a new boldness, and a new wisdom on the inside of you. Praise the Lord. I believe you're going to walk with such wisdom and such knowledge to navigate any challenging situations. The Holy Spirit will be there with you every time to give you the words to say, or perhaps sometimes just to be quiet. 
So, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit helping us. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching today. I'll see you back next time. Bye-bye.